0: So I think I can speak for most of us, if not all of us, that we, we really love a good David and Goliath story, right? I mean, the little guy taking on the big guy and winning, right? Um, my son, if you would ask him what his favorite movie is, he would tell you it's the movie Hoosiers. And uh, I found out, I discovered here in Michigan that when I asked people if they've seen the movie Hoosiers, um, about 75% say, no, what are you talking about? But down in Indiana, everybody watched the movie Hoosiers, right? One, it's named for their mascot, right? Uh, but the other is it's about a small school in Indiana. And once upon a time, Indiana basketball was just one class basketball. So it wasn't A, B, C, D, single A, double A, whatever. It was, if you were going to win the championship, you had to beat the big dogs as well as the little guys, right? All the way. And the movie Hoosiers was about this team in, uh, in uh, rural Indiana that went all the way and they won the state championship for Indiana. And Gene Hackman's in it and Barbara Hershey. It's uh, like a big deal. And uh, you are looking at me like, never heard it, never seen it, whatever. All right. But anyway, it's a good David and Clyde story, you'll have to take my word for it, right? The big, the little guy takes out the big guy. We have the NCAA tournament coming up in a couple of weeks. Selection Sunday is, is next Sunday. And unless they're playing your team down in your heart of hearts, what are you pulling for? You're pulling for the underdog, right? You want that 16 to take down that one and that 15 to take down that two. Why? Just because it's fun to see the little guy just take out the big guy. That's what it's all about. We love these David and Goliath stories. And of course, we go to the original, David and Goliath. You go to that story and we know David, he's the shepherd boy and uh, Israel's out facing off with the Philistines and here comes Goliath and the Bible says he's nine feet tall and he's coming out just talking smack to Israel. Come on, just send one guy out. We don't have to shed so much blood today. Just send your best warrior out. We'll meet down at the bottom. We'll fight. And then if we win, you're our slaves. But hey, if your guy can take me out, we'll become your slaves. And Israel is just quivering with fear. Even Saul, who's been described as head and shoulders above the rest, and this mighty warrior, even he was like, who are we going to send to fight this guy? And then, of course, along comes David, right? Shepherd boy. And a chapter before he had been anointed as king of Israel. Was that out of place and out of order? I don't know. But anyway, David comes on the scene and dad said, go check on the boys. And he goes out and he's like, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that's talking bad about Israel? And he gets all the information and then the king calls for him and says, so you're going to be the one. And David's like, yeah, I'll be the guy. Right. I mean, he's just a little guy. And uh, the king's like, "Ah, well, I'm going to put my fate of all of Israel in the hands of this little boy. And he's like, try on my armor. And we know the story, right? His armor's dragging him down. And I know I'm summarizing, right? But anyway, he gets ready to go down and here's Goliath. And again, he's like, what am I, a dog that you would send to flee? He's just continuing to talk smack. And why shouldn't he talk smack? He's Goliath. He's nine feet. David's like two feet, right? He's going to take him out. And David's like, but I come to you in the name of the Lord and I'm going to cut your head off. Again, I summarize. And then, of course, David goes down. He picks up his five shiny stones and gets that sling going and right there in the head. And he goes tumbling down, takes out his sword Chops his head off, and we just want to say, Yeah! Yeah, for the little guy, right? We just want to pull for a good David and Goliath story where the little guy wins. Today's story is nothing like that. (laughs) Not a bit. Today's story is no David and Goliath story. No David and Goliath results in today's story whatsoever. There's not even a dumb and dumber, one in a million. Oh, so you're saying there's a chance. Some of you will get that reference. No, there's not even a chance. David is not going to beat Goliath on this day. The little guy is not going to win in the story, the scripture we're going to share today. Not even a chance. You could read it 50 times. It's always going to come to the same result. You can speculate. You can say, what if, what if? Nope. The giant's going to win today. Because the giant is God, and spoiler alert, he wins. God's always going to win. He's going to win in the end. He's going to reign victorious. And I could probably end the sermon right there, but they pay me for thirty minutes, so that's what I'm going to give to you. All right, we're going to look at Psalm chapter two today. Psalm chapter two, and uh, this is a Psalm of David. And uh, we're in this five Sunday series called Singing the Sacred. That's a lot of S's. And uh, we're going to, we looked at Psalm 1, we're going to look at Psalm 2. We won't get through all 150 of them in this five week series. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 2 today. But before we do, it's, it's amazing to me that when we have God's word, the universe's bestseller year after year, right? And people can read it and they can see it. But some people still refuse to accept and believe that God wins in the end. Like, they still want to confront him. And people talk smack about him. You know, yesterday was the 57th anniversary of when John Lennon of the Beatles famously said, we're more popular than Jesus now. 57 years ago yesterday, Lennon told the rock journalist Maureen Cleave, I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. People continue to mouth off about and against God, defying his power and his might. Some may even say, yeah, I believe there's a higher power. There's something. I believe in God. But, but then we start to speculate about who he is and what he'll do because of how we feel. Not about what the Bible says about who he is. There was a Roman emperor, Diocletian, who reigned from 284 A.D. to 305 A.D. And he did some great reforms for Rome. Uh, he had a lot of insight. If I remember correctly, he came from humble means. He rose through the ranks, was a mighty warrior and all this kind of stuff. And eventually he became emperor over all of Rome. And even though he was emperor and a lot of these emperors had, you know, obviously big head and all this pride, he saw that, you know, I can't do this by myself. And he actually was the guy that set up 10 different districts that other people would lead and that he would be over them just to be able to manage things well. But the other thing Diocletian did was that he was a great persecutor of Christians, a great persecutor of Christians. In fact, when he was in power and he ended up dying, going crazy, going insane. But he had this medallion made up because he wanted to brag about his accomplishments. And one of the things that he bragged about in his accomplishments on this medallion was the name of Christianity being extinguished. That's was that was something he wanted to brag and let other people know about that. He stretched Rome from here to there and did all this stuff with the property. But he wanted to make sure people knew that he was the guy that extinguished Christianity. Talk and smack to God, thinking that there's some way that you're going to defeat him. But again, as I said, God always wins. God always wins. Psalm chapter two. Why are the nations so angry Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. I learned a new uh, word this week. I, I knew it was a word, but I didn't know it was a word used in this way. Um, the, the Urban Dictionary uh, would define this word, and it's a word that means, uh, as I entitled the sermon, uh, Big Hat, No Cattle. Have you heard that term before? Or uh, another way you might look at it is you look at Andy's golf bag and you see Titleist and Callaway and TaylorMade. And then you watch me play golf and you realize, whoa, that's just all talk in his bag, right? That's the same kind of thing. Um, and the word is fronting. Have you heard fronting in this way? I've not heard that before. I'm, I've been known to be a little naive and ignorant. But anyway, so fronting is basically kind of puffing your chest out, bowing up, whatever, and you really don't have anything to back it up. Right you're just all talk and, and no and no action. Well, the nations in this psalm, as we start out, the nations are fronting. The nations think that they have everything that they need to back up their stance against God, saying he's not holy. He's not all powerful. He's not all knowing. He's not ever present. And he can't protect the Israelites. And so they're fronting, confronting Israel, saying, we're taking you out. This God can't protect you. And we see this oftentimes throughout, especially the Old Testament. Uh, Exodus chapter 5. We looked at the life of Moses uh, several weeks ago now. And Moses and Aaron, if you'll remember, they were going to Pharaoh um, and they were going into Egypt and they were going to rescue the Israelites from Egypt. And God said, here are the words to use. This is what you need to do. And then Pharaoh eventually, you know, we're going to release the Israelites. And so Moses and Aaron first went to the Israelite people and they got all the elders together and they said, listen, God said, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go in. We're going to tell Pharaoh, let us go. Pharaoh's ultimately going to let us go. We're going to go get to worship God. You're going to be free from your chains. And if you remember right, the people were so excited. What did they do? They bowed down and worshiped God. This is awesome. This is amazing. And you can imagine Aaron and Moses are just getting puffed up. Yeah. I mean, it's like a rally cry. They're so excited that they get to go confront Pharaoh. So they go tell Pharaoh and they say, Pharaoh, here's the deal. The God of the universe says, let us go. And how did Pharaoh respond in Exodus five, verse two? And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh, confronted with Moses, saying, this is what the God of the universe says, and what does Pharaoh say? I don't know who that is. I'm not afraid to battle this unknown God to me. In fact, I'm not letting him go. I'm not obeying him. He was fronting to God. He was like, I'm not afraid of you, God. In 2 Kings 19... One of my favorite kings to read about, alright, a lot of information was this King Hezekiah in the first, second, you read about Second Kings, Second Chronicles, and also uh, in the prophet, uh, the prophet book of Elijah. Um, Hezekiah was this uh, interesting king because he was doing things right in God's eyes. Um, He came down with this I think it was a skin disease and God said you're gonna die get your affairs in order He begged and asked God for more years of life and God granted him 15 more years of life um, To prove it God or to give him a sign God actually stopped time You can read all about that, but it's kind of wild all the information we have about Hezekiah Well at one point Hezekiah was under attack by Assyria And the Assyrians came in and they're giving this information to the Israelites And uh, Hezekiah's people are like, listen, don't talk like that. Speak a different language so that you don't uh, frighten our people. (laughs) And the Assyrians are like, I'll talk however I want. I want to frighten your people. But anyway, Sennacherib was this guy that was leading for the Assyrians. And he says after Hezekiah is like, listen, um, we, we don't want to do this. We don't want to fight. We don't want you to take us over. He said, this message is for King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. He basically called God a liar to Hezekiah. That's how much fronting Assyria was doing. Well, God would use Assyria eventually to take Israel into exile. But God didn't tell them to do all the awful things that they did to the Israelites, and they went overboard. In the first Kings uh, chapter 18, I'm sorry, I'm getting back to that later. I got ahead of myself. Another instance of fronting first uh, Kings chapter 18. This is one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. I'm going to say favorite a whole bunch because there's a lot of good stuff in here today. In first Kings chapter 18, um, there's this great barbecue story that happens and it's Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. First barbecue competition in the universe. Uh, First Kings uh, chapter 18. I use that at a funeral. It went over pretty well, too. Anyway, First Kings chapter 18. um, We have Elijah um, and Elijah is an interesting character because he shows sometimes this depressive state and anxiety. And then sometimes he shows courage and hope. And um, Elijah. At one time, there was a drought in Israel, the, the northern part of the kingdom. There, and um, Ahab, who was the king of Israel at that time, was a bad king. Uh, he married Jezebel. We all have heard that name and used in you know in derision or whatever. Um, he married Jezebel. He was that guy, and he was turning people away from God. They were worshiping other idols and different things. Well, they had this drought, and so uh, they were out looking for Elijah because they knew that Elijah would give a message from God. And so eventually, um, Ahab comes across Elijah and he says, there you are, you troublemaker. And Elijah said, I've made no trouble for Israel. In fact, you and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. My point is, all these nations are fronting with God and even Ahab, who is the king of Israel. He had all this information, all this stuff written down, all this legacy, all this heritage, everything in this relationship with God that Israel had. And even he was turning people's hearts away from the almighty, all powerful, ever known, ever present God. We might ask why. I think in some instances, it's knowledge, right? The Assyrians, uh, Pharaoh, he might say, you know what? I don't don't know your God because he didn't have a relationship with us like he did with Israel. And I would say there's, there's probably something to that. Even though Romans would say all of creation screams about who God is, I can see them saying we didn't have knowledge of this God. But when it comes to Ahab and Israel, they know who the one true living God is. And yet they continue to think We know better. We can do better. We can be the David in this story of David and Goliath and overcome this giant. But the fact is, God always wins. The next few verses in Psalm 2. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. You ever wonder if God had a sense of humor? He laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger, He rebukes them, terrifying them with His fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. Talking about Jesus, of course. But we have the nations fronting, and while they're doing that, God is just simply laughing. God is laughing. In Exodus 14, going back to Pharaoh and Moses, and Moses is like, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no. And we go back and forth and have all these plagues that come on the people. And then in Exodus 14, it talks about how they're escaping and they're heading to the promised land. And the people are grumbling, saying, oh, Jesus brought us out here to die. And he's like, no, we're going to get there. And they come to the Red Sea. And if you're people escaping, and now you kind of see the dust from the hooves of the Egyptians chasing you, you're getting a little nervous. And God says to Moses, pick up your staff, raise your hand over the sea, divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots, his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know what? That I am the Lord. The Bible is not a David and Goliath story. God wins. Isaiah chapter 10. When this king of Assyria, when they took him into exile, you read Isaiah 10, there's this whole lament and this whole punishment that's coming on Assyria. In Isaiah 10:12, it says, After the Lord had used the king of Assyria to accomplish his purposes on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, he will turn against the king of Assyria and punish him, for he is proud and arrogant. Even when the Assyrian king thought that he had bettered God,
1: God says,
0: "Eh, no." God just laughs and God scoffs and says, "You're going to get yours because you didn't just do what I asked, what I told you to do, but you're proud and you're arrogant, thinking that it's all you and not me." First Kings 18. Back to Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. Uh, We know the story, right? Uh, Elijah said, all right, build your altar and uh, put the sacrifice on it and pray to Baal and ask Baal to come consume the the sacrifice with fire and uh, consume it up, whatever. And so they spent day and night uh, yelling and screaming and dancing. They were actually cutting themselves like mutilation going on, all kinds of crazy stuff. And then Elijah starts uh, talking smack. Do you remember that? Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's in the bathroom. I don't know what the Hebrew word is for bathroom. I don't think it's Lou or John or anything, but you know what I'm talking about, right? The port potty Wavy's at the porta potty And so um, they're just going. And of course, nothing happens. Why? Because Baal's not real. But then Elijah said, all right, it's my turn. Build up the altar, 12 stones for each of the tribe of Israel. Starts dousing the thing with water to really show off. Puts a trench around it. the trench fills up with water. And then on... 1 Kings 18, it says, at the usual time for offering the evening, evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately... The fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and they cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. My son would call them bandwagoners, like they saw who was going to win and then they jumped to his team, right? Right. Then Elijah, that was a little bit funny, you can laugh by the way. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal, don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. God laughs when people front to him. God scoffs. Why? Because God is victorious. This is not a little guy defeating the big guy story. This is all about who God is, how powerful He is, how awesome He is. Is He filled with grace and mercy? Absolutely. We're evidence of that because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But He also is a just God. He is a just God. Psalm 2 7 through 9. The King proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my Son. So He Who's He talking about? Jesus. Who's He talking about? Yeah, there you go. Right. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. So all the nations are fronting and God is laughing. Jesus is preparing. Jesus is preparing Acts 17 for he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. John 14, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you when everything is ready? I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Revelation 19 verse 11 says, then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. In verse 21, it says their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. Great junior high material right there. That's Jesus. Jesus is preparing Jesus is preparing. And what's he going to do? It's judgment day. And on judgment day, Jesus is coming down to bring justice. To bring justice. And again, this is not a story where the little feeble guy that doesn't trust in God, that doesn't know God, that doesn't love God, that rejects God. This is not a story that he somehow wins, somehow turns a miraculous thing, makes for a good movie. It's not this story. In this story, God wins. God reigns victorious. And while the nations are fronting and God is laughing, Jesus is preparing. Last few verses. I'm sorry, uh, 10 through 12, read this way. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities for his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. After they front and God laughs and Jesus prepares the nations are warned. And you and I are warned as well. What are the couple of specific warnings that were in there? They were, serve the Lord with fear and submit to the Son. Serve the Lord with fear and submit to the Son. This whole... None of us want to live our life in fear, right? I mean, that's not an attractive thing to think, man, I really would just love to wake up just trembling every single morning. That's not really a thing that we want to do. And so we have to look at this and say, what does it really mean to fear the Lord? And I think another word we could put there is respect. I think another word we could put there is honor. But I think the bigger picture of it is We ought to live our lives understanding, again, this is not David versus Goliath where David wins. This is not you and I versus God, able to reject him, able to figure out another way. God wins. And when we understand that and live our life with that belief, I think that's living with the fear of God. It's living understanding that he is awesome and powerful and we are his creation. Proverbs 1.7 Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. If you're wondering how to up your IQ, this would say that you need to fear God more, right? And just watch the points fly off the chart. Maybe not an official IQ test, but anyway, in God's economy, it will. If you want to really understand God's will and God's reason for your life here on earth, fear him. And things will come into a much more clear picture. Deuteronomy 13.4, serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. Obey his commands, listen to his voice and cling to him. John 12.26, anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. There's the aspect of fearing God because of who he is. And then there's the aspect of serving him because we fear him. See, all this life and all this world focuses everything on what? I'm supposed to live my my life in my way, serving me, honoring me, protecting me, everything that I'm supposed to do. But it's when we fear God is when we turn the tables and say, I'm in this world because God put me here. And I'm here to serve him and him alone. Not my own interests, not my selfishness, my greed and all that. That's not why we're here. We're here to honor and glorify the God that created us and saved us through Jesus. And he's called us to serve him, fearing God. So serve him, knowing that he's the one that holds the keys to everything that is life. And do we serve him and live in that way? The other part of that was humbling ourselves or submitting ourselves to him. James 4.7 says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. First Peter 5, 6, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Not only are we called to serve Him in reverence and fear and in honor of who He is, but we're also called to submit ourselves, to humble ourselves before a mighty God. We're called to be His servants, as opposed to having everybody serve us. He is all-powerful. We are not. He is all-knowing. We are not. He is ever-present. We are not. We were created to worship Him, not to be worshipped by Him. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul wrote this, Therefore God elevated Him, being Jesus, to the highest, to the place of highest honor and gave Him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue declare that what? Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. (laughs) One day, (laughs) on Judgment Day, everybody will bow and know that Jesus Christ is Lord. But only those who have surrendered to Jesus will get to hear that and see that and then enter into an eternal kingdom. It won't be those that are fronting God thinking that there's another way, there's a better way, I know better, I'm rejecting you, I don't believe in you. Those aren't the people that are going to get to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your eternal rest. That's not how it's going to sound for people that were sticking their chest out before God saying, I'm going to fight a David and Goliath story and you're going to fall. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. God wins. Period. God wins wins if you're here today as someone who has not surrendered your life to Jesus I would love to talk with you after the service when Lance comes up we're going to sing another song and I'll be down at the cross after the service I'd love to talk with you about what it means to surrender your life to Jesus so that you're not fronting with God any longer thinking that there's some better way that there's some way that you can work things around him it just doesn't happen it's not one of those stories it's a story where God wins the big, the giant, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the ever-present, this is a story where he wins. And those of us here that are believers, that have surrendered our life to Jesus, every day is a battle. Every day is a battle. Because the world all around us, of course, wants to say, no, life's about you, the world's about you, you've got to take care of you, you've got to do this. And we have to adjust our thinking to wake up every morning, have our feet hit the floor and say, Lord, how can I humbly serve you today? And elevate you to the highest position in my life. And it is a daily journey. It's something we ought to be challenged with every single day. How can I serve him this day? And why? Because God wins. God wins. Father, thank you for being a victorious God and a victorious Savior. Thank you for loving us enough to send Jesus to die. Because, Lord, we realize that we don't deserve it. That if true justice were served, we would have to die for our sins. But because you love us, you sent Jesus to die for us. And Lord, we thank you for the call that you've placed on our hearts to surrender our lives to you. Father, we love these underdog stories, but we know in this instance it's not one of those. You are God, and you win, and we love you for it, and we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand as Lance leads us in another song.